0: So we know this. We know that, um, I would say this, I would say the waiting's almost over. I think pretty much um, uh, we we, and our missionaries here, we have had our last day of classes. We had our last day of finals. And um, so that's good. That's over. I know some of my nieces and nephews next week, this upcoming week is, um, it's almost over. It's not there. It's not quite, the waiting for them is not quite over. And also we have Christmas, which I mean, the wait is almost over. I don't know. Do you remember, like, waiting for Christmas? I, gosh, w- sorry, question, for real. Was it actually difficult? Did you guys ever have a hard time? Like, stressful? Like, just, the, it's hard to wait. As a kid, it's hard to wait. But I don't know. Um, I think waiting for Christmas right now, for me, is kind of easy in the sense. But I remember, like, back in the day, where it was just, it was, it was so hard to wait. And I have the question, like, why is it so hard to wait? Um, What's what is it about waiting that is so difficult? And I, I still experience this, right? It's not just like I'm so mature right now that I have no problem waiting. Um, the place I get most stressed out waiting, I think right now, is the confession line, which is just the worst because you think like, okay, this is the place where you're going to confess your sins. This is the place where grace is at the end of this line, and yet I get so stressed out and so nervous, and I just hate waiting in line because, um, well, you know, there's sometimes there's a person ahead who's like, they see someone else coming and they're like, oh no, you can go ahead of me. Are you kidding me? You're, you're letting that person go ahead of all of us, too. Or the person who goes in there and takes forever, you're like, what are they talking about? Like, Are they playing a game? Are they playing chess or something? Monopoly is going on and on and on. Um, the hard thing about waiting, I think, is the problem with waiting is that we don't have. The problem with waiting is we don't have. We don't have what we want. Uh, we don't often don't have peace of mind. And the big thing, big thing is I think the problem with waiting is we don't have all the details. It's one of the hardest things about waiting. The problem with waiting is we don't have all the details. And yet, waiting doesn't have to be wasted. Waiting doesn't have to be wasted. Waiting is actually meant to serve a purpose. You know, throughout the whole scriptures, God, many times, he asks his people to wait. I mean, it's like, um, even in the the first reading today from 2 Samuel, you have David who comes to the prophet Nathan and says, Hey, I want to build God a temple. And Nathan's like, Go for it. And that night, God appears to Nathan in the dream and says, Actually, no, no, no. David, you got to wait. It's, it's almost like all these moments, God's like, hey, hey, no, you gotta wait, you gotta wait, and it's like almost like God's a good dad or something. He always keeps telling us to wait, but it's not just any kind of waiting. The waiting God invites us to, the waiting God commands us to enter into, is not just waiting. It's waiting in silence. It's 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 this going into this state of silent waiting. So the second reading today is the last the the last words of Saint Paul's letter to the Romans, and in those in that what we just heard, Saint Paul says that there was a mystery. That has been, that's kept secret for long ages but now is manifest. So there's this long, long period of waiting. This secret that's been, has been then kept secret, this mystery kept secret for long ages that is now manifest. Another translation of that is not just a mystery kept secret, but it's a mystery, the mystery, kept in silence for long ages. That's, strictly speaking, translating what St. Paul said. The mystery has been kept in silence for long waiting, for long ages. Because there's this, this reality that we're called to ha- enter into this silent waiting. And think about this. Waiting and silence does two things. We know this. We know that waiting purifies. We know that silence magnifies. This is one of the reasons why we're invited into this, right? Waiting serves a purpose. It's not wasted. Waiting purifies and silence magnifies. Um, Remember, the problem with waiting is not having all the details. But when waiting purifies, what it does is it say, so, for example, my little brother, when he was applying for medical school, he had always wanted to be a doctor and so he graduated from undergrad and then applied for medical school and he didn't get in right away. And so for the next year, he spent the, his time, he spent his time working in a hospital. and he worked as like a tech or like a nurse's assistant. And when he was working in the hospital in our, in our hometown, he found that he really, really liked nursing. He really liked working with the nurses. He really liked doing the work that they were doing. And he had this question of like, wait a second, I have to wait this whole year. And in the process of my waiting, I have this new option for myself. And I, I really like nursing. I really like the, the nurses. I really like this this all of this stuff. The question was, do I really want to be a doctor? Because I really, really like nursing. It was that process. He was kind of forced to wait. But what it did was it purified his desire. Do I really want to be a doctor or can I choose this other profession, which is just as rewarding, just as fulfilling, just as incredible? He chose to be a doctor, but his desire was purified during that time. Again, waiting purifies. Um, even in the Old Testament, you have uh, the, the person who led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. You have Moses. I don't know if you know this about Moses, but at one point, you know, he was, he was raised in Pharaoh's home, uh, and then he killed an Egyptian who was beating up a fellow Israelite slave. And Pharaoh heard about this and so Moses had to flee. He, again, he had been saved, he had, been, I mean, he had been, saved. He'd been drawn out of the water, raised in the palace, and then he was forced on the run. He spent the next 40 years of his life living as a shepherd far from home. It was 40 years. He was raised fully in Pharaoh's household and then for the next 40 years, he just waited before God told him the next step. And what did that waiting do? He had to wait because he had to wait for that, that young and impetuous and brash and, and, and hot-headed man to be burned away because waiting purifies. It can mature us because waiting serves a purpose. It, 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 it purifies and silence, silence magnifies. And we have this happen all the time when it comes to we have a holy hour here in this chapel every single morning. We've done it ever since I got here on campus. And one of the things that happens is sometimes students will come in into the chapel, they'll come into adoration, and this is the first time really where they'll be here for an hour or they'll sit in silence for an hour without any distraction, without any music, without any other like alternative voices or noise. And in that silence, one of the things that they discover is that they're very angry. <laughs> Or one of the things in that silence, what they discover is that they're very afraid. Or one of the things that they'll discover in that silence is that they have all this anxiety. And so they'll come to me and they'll say, like, Father, I don't think I can pray anymore because praying is making me so mad. My prayer is making me so anxious. It's making me so afraid. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Your prayer didn't make you anxious. It didn't make you angry. It didn't make you frustrated. It didn't make you um, afraid. Those things were already there. It's just the silence magnifies those things. Those things are already in your heart. It's just without, without any distraction, there's uh, nothing to get in the way of you noticing this because silence magnifies. Other times, people, I don't know, they'll go on like a silent retreat or even just go away where they're in a place where they just enter into silence and in that silence, they experience this profound loneliness and they'll think wrongfully, they'll think that it's the, it's the, the silence, it's the emptiness, it's that place that's giving them a feeling of loneliness. And like, the truth is, no, that emptiness was already there. It's just in the space of silence, they can see the loneliness, they can actually feel the loneliness. As we said, waiting purifies and silence magnifies. And it's, and it's this silent waiting, this you know, great magnifier, this great purifier that does something even more because silent waiting also magnifies and purifies our faith. I think when God enters, he invites us and he says, wait, it's more than just a test of faith. It's a transformation of faith. I think um, what he's not just trying to do is giving us a deeper faith. What he's trying to do is giving us a different kind of faith. Because I think that for a lot of us, when it comes to faith, um, I think we most often reduce faith to, um, I acknowledge that God exists. So that's what we think faith is. Like, yeah, no, I believe in God. That's, that's the thing. I know some of his characteristics and I, um, yeah, I believe in him. And sometimes, and that, that is faith to a certain degree, but it's not the kind of faith that we're actually called to, to live in. To just simply sit back and say, I acknowledge God exists. Or to simply sit back and say, I believe in God. Um, faith is so much more. In fact, uh, I've been really, <laughs> I reread the book of Job recently and One of the things about the book of Job is how God doesn't just, God isn't testing his faith. God is transforming his faith. He's not deepening his faith. He's changing the kind of faith that Job has. So the beginning of the book of Job, you have Job and he's this righteous man. And he has, um, he's a wife, and he has a bunch of children, his sons and daughters who are just really blessed. He has got uh, cattle; he's got herds of all kinds. And then Satan comes before God and says, "God, will you give me permission to basically take it all away?" And so God says, "Okay, go ahead, take it all away," because Joe, my 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 man, Job, he's going to be faithful. And so Satan does that. Satan, um, in the story, he basically makes it so all of Job's children are dead. In one day. And then he has it so that these marauders come and they take away Job's property in one day. And in one day Job loses everything. And Job's response, you know, Job believes in God. Job, Job believes in God. And so Job's response to this in Job chapter 1 is he just says, he, he, he shaves his head, he tears his clothes because he's, he, he's torn up. I mean, this isn't like he's just passive about this. He is brokenhearted. His life has been destroyed. And yet his response is faithful. His response is, Naked I came forth from my mother's womb. Naked I shall go back again. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's like that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of faith. But it's not over yet. Because then Job gets personally afflicted. He, this is this was all external to him. And now he gets he gets basically these, these boils all over his body. He's in constant, constant pain. And he finds himself sitting on top of this ash heap, taking a, a broken piece of pottery and scratching away at his boils on his flesh. And his wife comes up to him and she says, What are you doing sitting there? Why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> just wife of the year, right there, is, uh-huh. is Husbands, if your wife has ever said that, know that you're not alone. Um, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job's response, again, he's so faithful. He says, We accept good things from the Lord. Should we not also accept evil? So he just has this faith, right? He has this, I believe in God. I know that he has these characteristics that He's good and he is faithful and he's just. And yet it gets so much worse for Job. By, the cha- by, by chapter 7, Job, who has believed in God, is, the silence has magnified his pain. And that waiting has purified some things so that he tells, he cries out and he says, this is chapter 7, he says, "...is, man's, is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those like that of a, a slave?" He is a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. He goes on to say, In bed I say, when shall I arise? And then the night drags on. You ever have that feeling where you just, you can't go to sleep? And just that goes on and on and on. He says, my flesh is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin cracks and festers. And then the days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come and end, come and end without hope. He goes on, he says, I shall not see happiness again. And then he talks to God and he says, how long will it be before you look away from me and let me alone long enough to even swallow my spit. He goes on to say that I wish I'd never been born. I wish that I I had been I wish I perished in my mother's womb. This is a man and what's happened is in this waiting, in this suffering, it has magnified and is in the process of purifying Job's faith because the problem with waiting is not having all the details. So his friends come along; they try to fill in the gaps, they try to fill in the details, and yet the mystery uh, it remains the same. So the upshot of the whole thing is: I remember reading this reading this book. I, as I said, I just reread it. I remember reading this book as a teenager because someone told me like the book of Job has like it's the answer to suffering; it's God's answer to uh, the problem of pain. Like why do why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And it's funny because God doesn't actually answer the question. God doesn't actually tell Job why. God shows up in this this book. But when he shows up, he doesn't give Job the details. When he shows up, he gives Job himself. And this is the difference. This is what makes all of the difference. In chapter 42, it's the last chapter of the book of Job, his faith has been changed. Here's what he says. He says, I know that the Lord, you, God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be hindered. And then he says these massive lines. He says, I have dealt with things that I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I cannot know. I had heard of you by word of mouth, but now my eye has seen you. Therefore, I disown what I said. I repent in dust and ashes. See, Job is saying, my faith has changed. I had heard of you by word of mouth, but now I have encountered you. He's saying like, no, I believed in God and now I believe God. This is the d- difference. This is the difference. This is the kind of thing that what waiting does, what silent waiting is meant to do, it's meant to change our faith from I believe in God to I believe God. From I believe I know about him to I know him. To, from, from I know about his characteristics to I know his character. From I know that God is trustworthy the place where we can say, I trust him. This is the difference. with what silence, what silent waiting is meant to do. It's meant to change our faith from I believe in God to I believe God. Because um, when we believe in God, we say, okay, the problem is I don't have all the details, so give me the details. But when we believe God, we say, may it be done to me according to your word. This is, this is why Mary is the model for our faith. Not just because she has a deep faith, but because, but be, but because she has the kind of faith that you and I are called to, to have after the process of silent waiting. Because, um, not that it was easy for Mary, but when she hears what God's plan is for her, she says, I believe God. Now, Here's Keep this in mind. For Mary, she doesn't know what's going to happen. She has no idea what the future holds. She has no idea what's next. She doesn't know the details. But she's called to enter into this silent waiting. Again, for us, the problem with waiting is not having all the details. But Mary, she just simply asks one clarifying question, and then she trusts. She asks one clarifying question, And then she trusts. And her faith is revealed as being so much more than I believe in God and it is all about I believe God. Now, this is the last thing. That doesn't mean that this was easy for her. It wasn't. In fact, I don't know if you caught this, but in Luke's Gospel when he's recounting this to us, he says the angel came to her and Mary's response is she was greatly troubled. Now, keep that in mind. This is like, this is this Greek term that that really means that was, she wasn't just kind of startled she wasn't alarmed she was greatly troubled it bothered her to the core but what was she what was she greatly troubled by sometimes we think well yes you're surprised an angel for crying out loud standing right there like that would be kind of like shocking but it doesn't say she was greatly troubled because she saw an angel it says she was greatly troubled at what was said so what was said the archangel gabriel says to mary hail full of grace the lord is with you those are the words These are the words that like shook Mary to the core of herself. Why? Because she was a good Jewish girl and she knew the Jewish scriptures. And when God has a plan for someone, whether it be Moses or David or Gideon or Joshua, any of the people that the Lord God has led into a place of danger, into a place of of crisis, into a place of like, this mission is so big that it is way bigger than you and could absolutely crush you. The words of the angel were always, first, the Lord is with you. So Mary knows this she's greatly troubled at what was said. To her core, it shakes her because she knows here is God calling me to something that is far, far too big for me on my own. And yet, with her faith, being able to say, I believe God, she is able to say in the midst of that fear, let it be done to me according to your word. I don't know if those words are familiar to you. I think they should be familiar to you. We already said them once. Actually, twice. You know, four times in the Mass, the priest or the deacon greets the people and says, The Lord be with you. The exact same words. And for the exact same reason. The exact same words of the angel to, to archangel Gabriel to Mary and for the exact same reason. Because why? Because when you show up for Mass, what we're showing up for is something bigger than us, something that's more dangerous than us, something that can crush us, something that could kill us. And the very beginning of Mass, the Lord be with you, is not the priest saying, hey guys, what's up? It's the priest saying, you guys, you realize you've been called into this mission. You've been called here to worship the Lord. So buckle up. And then we hear the Gospel. The Lord be with you. And then in just a second, we're going to enter into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And the most, the It's almost the most, seemingly the most dangerous part of the Mass where the priest says, The Lord be with you because if he's not, you are approaching the living fire. You're approaching the everlasting flame. You're approaching the mountain of God, the altar of the Most High. And if he is not with us, then we are destroyed by his presence. And lastly, the priest at the end of Mass says, The Lord be with you. Now get out of here. Because your mission, then, is to take the Lord Jesus out into the world. And that mission is so big that it not only can crush us, it will crush us. But we keep coming back. We keep keep coming back to worship. And this is why. Because we worship and we wait. And this time, again, the waiting is almost over, but this, for some things, But in other ways, we're entering into this time of silent waiting so that our faith, our hearts may be purified and magnified. So that every single one of us, the more we worship, the more we wait, the more we enter into this time of purifying, this time of of magnifying, that our faith may not just be deepened, but may be changed. From I believe in God to I believe God. From I know his characteristics to I know his character. From I know that God is trustworthy to being able to look at the Lord and say, God, be it done unto me according to your word because I trust you.